This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and good evening. A little later in the show, we'll be doing some sleuthing with Boston Blackie, but right off the top, let's have a visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen. And they work together as a successful comedy team that entertained vaudeville, film, radio, and television audiences for over 40 years. The duo met in 1922 and married in 1926. Burns wrote most of the material and played the straight man, but early on, the team had played the opposite roles until they noticed that the audience was laughing at Gracie's straight lines, so they made the change, and in later years, each attributed their success to the other. The Burns and Allen team was not an overnight sensation, and according to George Burns, we were a good man and woman act, but we were not headliners or stars or featured attractions. We were on the bill with them. There would be a star or two stars and a featured attraction, and then we would come along, fourth billing, in an eight-act show. Pretty modest, huh? And along the way, the duo launched the temporary running gag that made them, well, almost famous all around the world, uh, radio stars, the famous hunt for Gracie's lost brother, which began on January 4th of 1933 and eventually became a cross-network phenomenon. Gracie was also liable to turn up on other shows, especially those produced by the J. Walter Thompson Advertising Agency, which produced the Burns and Allen series, looking for her brother. <laughs> well, let's go back in time when Gracie was volunteering George to play Santa at the Christmas pageant. Phil Goodwin speaking for Lever Brothers, Makers of Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castiles. Well, it's Tuesday night again, time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen, our guests, the MGM star Charles Lawton and his charming wife Elsa Lanchester, Jimmy Cash and Felix Mills and his orchestra. And now meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. That's a swell-looking Christmas tree you got, Gracie. Oh, isn't it handsome? I picked this tree for sentimental reasons. You did? Yes. You, you see how it's little at the top and spreads out at the bottom? What's uh, sentimental about it? It reminds me of you. <laughs> Thanks, dear. Oh, won't it be wonderful, darling, spending another Christmas together? You bet. And this year it's got to be a real white one. A white Christmas? Yes. Gracie, it never snows in Hollywood. Oh, I didn't mean that. But remember the sheets we sent to the laundry six months ago? Oh, they're back. Yes. <laughs> we'll have a white Christmas and a starchy New Year, yeah. Oh, remember our first Christmas, George? You were dating me then. Sure, I remember. You kissed me under the mistletoe. 
Now you are a fiery lover. <laughs> I, uh, I was? Yeah. Oh, look, we're under the mistletoe now. How about a kiss? Oh, Gracie. Oh, I... come on. I want to see if your kisses are still fiery. Okay. <laughs> well? Oh, I guess they're not making mistletoe like they used to. <laughs> Well, come on, we better get busy and trim the tree. All right, and then we'll go to the pageant rehearsal. Pageant rehearsal? Oh, oh, I forgot to tell you. Nigel Bolingbroke is staging a Christmas pageant. I'm the Snow Queen, and you're going to be Santa Claus. Look, I'm not going to be Santa Claus for that broken-down pool room bum. But, George, it's a wonderful part. You come down the chimney and put presents in the bottles that are hanging by the fireplace. Wait a minute, and wait then... a minute. Uh, bottles are hanging by the fireplace? Yeah, liquid stockings. <laughs> oh, I see Oh, uh, you'll be such a cute little Santa Claus With a pillow stuffed in your coat and a Gracie, long... Gracie, I'm not going to be in the pageant Well, you're very silly, dear A talent scout might see you Why, Lana Turner was discovered Just sipping a soda in a drugstore Well, maybe Lana Turner had more to offer Than I would a Santa Claus Oh, I don't know With a pillow in front of you, you'd have... Never mind, never mind <laughs> Greetings, good people. Tis I, Bolingbroke. Oh, hello, maestro. I was just telling George that we want him to play Santa Claus in our pageant. Yes, and I turned it down, Q-Ball. Well, you can't be serious, Burns. What a pageant it will be. The very thought of the first scene warms my heart. As the curtain rises, the stage is crowded with little children. Little tots too young to have an agent all working for nothing. <laughs> yes, that would warm your heart. And then, tally-ho, out upon the stage comes jolly old St. Nick in his sleigh. Drawn by his faithful reindeer, Dunder and Blitzen, Dancer and Prancer, Comet and Garrett Lidecker. <laughs> Comet and Garrett Lidecker? It's an actor friend of mine. Though reduced to playing a reindeer, he insists upon full billing. <laughs> Look, I don't want to have anything to do with this broken-down pageant. Yes. Apparently, Mrs. Burns, we must seek elsewhere for a sucker, a Santa. Oh, I've got it. The perfect Santa Claus. Charles Lawton. Oh, stop. Well, he's already got a big bundle. <laughs> All he has to do is move it around to the back. Gracie, you'll never get a man like Charles Lawton to be in the silly pageant. Hi, hey, hi, folks. Am I interrupting anything? Not a thing, Bill. Well, friend Goodwin, I'm so happy to see you. Your arrival is most opportune. Will a half a buck be enough? <laughs> Don't be crude, my dear fella. I merely wish to proffer you the role of Santa Claus in our Christmas pageant. Oh, well, you're too late, Q-Ball. I'm taking Santa's place at the department store Toyland this week. Oh, really, Bill? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll bet it's fun giving the kiddies presents. Oh, it is, Gracie. You ought to see their little faces light up when they unwrap them and say... Ooh, look, Sandy gave me a great big bar of swine. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the present. Well, sure, George. Swan, the new white floating soap is a present for the whole family because it's four soaps in one. The soap for your hands and face, a wonderful soap for bathing the baby, and perfect for dishes and light laundry. Four swell soaps in one, a great wartime buy. Well, Bill, what if a little girl asks for a doll? Oh, uh, Bill has a special bar of swan that says mama when you break it in two. <laughs> well, the little girls like to climb up on my lap and have me tell them how to wash the dishes with swan. I tell them about those long-lasting swan suds, 
And I tell them that Swan is so mild and gentle, they don't have to worry about rough dishpanny hands. They like that, huh? Oh, sure. Fascinates them. Why, yesterday, a little girl named Nancy sat in my lap for a half hour. Well, is she big enough to wash the dishes? Well, I think so. <laughs> She's 22. <laughs> oh, well, if Bill won't be off Santa Claus, I'd better get in touch with Mr. Lawton right away. Oh, now, Gracie, surely you're not serious about this. Surely you wouldn't bother a great actor like Charles Lawton with the silly pageant. I know I can trust you. <laughs> Mama's little dreamer. <laughs> Gracie, I want you to promise me that you won't ask him. Well... Go on, promise. All right, I promise. Good. Now behave yourself while I go down to the cigar store. Well, I'd better start for Mr. Lawton's house. Well, Gracie, you just promised George. I promised I wouldn't ask Mr. Lawton to be Santa Claus. Yes? But I didn't promise I wouldn't ask his wife to ask him. Oh, oh you're going to talk to Mrs. Lawton, Elsa well, Lanchester. Sure, sure. The way to a man's heart is through his wife. I thought it was through his stomach. Well, in Mr. Lawton's case, there's a shorter way. <laughs> Charles under your thumb. My. 
I lay down the law and he obeys it. Gee. I crack the whip and he jumps. Really? Absolutely. And to prove it, <laughs> I, I promise you that Charles will play Santa Claus because I'll order him to play it. Oh, yes. So full of the real Christmas spirit. Come, come on, let's go up to the attic. There's a red flannel nightshirt there that I, that I made him stop wearing. It might do for part of the costume. Well, why did you make him stop wearing it? Oh, bad for my nerves. He looked exactly like a burning building. <laughs> Well, while the girls were in the attic, Mr. Lawton came home. He just hung up his hat when there was a knock at the door. Oh, hello. Come on in, George. Oh, thanks, Charles. Thanks. Say, Charles, I'm looking for Gracie. Is she here? Why, George, how flattering. Um... <laughs> oh, I thought uh, maybe uh, I asked Gracie... Uh, uh, I, I, I asked Gracie to tell you that she, uh, for you not to be in her Christmas passion... I told her not to do it, but I thought maybe she did anyway. You meant she might have disobeyed you? Yeah, sure. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's absurd. After all, she's only a wife. Well, <laughs> doesn't Elsa ever disobey you? I should say not. She wouldn't dare. You're too soft, George. You let Gracie run over you. Really? Certainly. You're the husband. You're entitled to be boss. Who brings the money in your family? Who earns the living? I say you, you, you are in rather an awkward spot, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I, I guess so. Believe me, I keep Elsa under my thumb. Why? I lay down the law and she obeys it. She? I crack the whip and she jumps. Really? Absolutely. Uh, you wear the pants around here, huh? I haven't had them off in 17 years. <laughs> Boy, uh, you you go out whenever you want to. Huh? Not a question. Your wife doesn't complain when you have the boys over for poker? She wouldn't dare. Well, how does she feel about smoking cigars in the living room? I'd never let her do it. <laughs> no, I I mean, can you do it? I do as I please. And if Elsa so much as raises an eyebrow at me, I turn her across my knee and spank her. What was that, Charles? Oh, Hello, darling. I didn't know you were home. Evidently not. Gracie, give me that flannel nightshirt. Oh, here you are, Elsa. Charles, take this to your room and throw legs on it. You're going to be Santa Claus. Don't argue with me, fat boy. <laughs> go to your room. Yes, dear. <sighs> George Burns, you go and help him. But, Gracie... Don't argue with me, skinny boy. popular young tenor Jimmy Cash with Felix Mills and the orchestra and an old favorite that's coming to the fore again, a ballad called Paul. Jimmy? The evening ever brings to me dreams of days that used to be memories of Thank you. 
So you don't wear the pants in your family after all. No, George, I confess. I wear the girdle. <laughs> I can't believe it. A big guy like you afraid of your wife. It's a secret I've kept from the whole world. Why, outside of my home, everyone's afraid of me. Policemen tremble when I talk to them. Truck drivers get out of my way. Department store clerks actually wait on me. <laughs> but at home, you're a milk toast. Yes, it's terrible. I, I went to a psychoanalyst. What did he say? He said, talk back to your wife. Don't be afraid of her. He was a single man. <laughs> I guess that. But, Charles, why are you so afraid of Elsa? Does she beat you? Oh, of course not. That's just the point. She's sweet to me, and I love her. But I want to be boss, and she won't let me. <laughs> say, I long to be the caveman type. I go to a Humphrey Bogart picture and just sit there and drool. <laughs> Well, haven't you ever gotten up uh, enough nerve to do anything about it? Well, once I did lose my temper, Elsa criticized my work. That got you, huh? Yeah, so I took off my apron, threw down my broom, and walked out of the house. <laughs> You're a tiger. You know... Come in. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Lawton, I was looking for Gracie. Oh, hello, George. Hello, Bill. Charles, this is Bill Goodwin. How do you do? Well, gee, Mrs. Lawton, you don't have to stick your tongue out at me. <laughs> That's his lip. He's pouting. He's hempecked. Ah, oh, go on. Not Charles Lawton. He's too tough. Well, I can still hear him saying, Mr. Christian, come here. Scrub my back with swan. <laughs> I don't recall that. <laughs> well, Charles, you must try it sometime. Swan's not only great for your bath or for bathing the baby, but it's just a soap for dishes and light laundry. Swan's the new white floating soap that's four swell soaps in one. Say, Bill, we're serious. Gracie saw Elsa dominate Charles, and now I'm henpecked, too. Well, what are you, George, a man or a mouse? Get tough with Gracie. Scare her. Oh, tell her I'll leave her? No, don't bribe her. Scare her. <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you how both of you can scare your wife. How? Tell him, tell him you won't let him bathe the babies with swan. 
What baby? Well, any baby. Oh. Swan's great for all of them. Doctors recommend it because it's pure as fine Castile's, and it's so mild it's kind even to a little baby's tender skin, which, incidentally, is a tip-off to the fact that it's swell for your hands and face, your complexion. Say, Charles, maybe we should try to scare our wives. You're right. If we're ever going to get the upper hand, now's our chance, while there's a shortage of men. <laughs> right. Now you're talking. Once and for all, end that myth about the better half. We will. There's no such thing as a better half. Both halves are equally good. Sure. So when you break swan and two, put half in the kitchen and half in the bathroom. So long, Bill. You can, you can put your half in the bathroom for your tub or shower. Out, Bill. Or you can put it in the kitchen for the dishes or light laundry. Out. George. Let's go in there and pin their ears back. Okay. We'll show them who's boss. You said it. We'll scare the life out of them. I'll say we will. You go first. <laughs> well, we better go in together. You're right. United we stand. That's the stuff. Nothing can stop us. Now you're talking. We're husbands on the warpath. That's us. Let's have a drink first. <laughs> That's a good idea. One quick one to give us nerve. Yes, I'll cut some lemon and put on the teapot. Mm. Oh, <laughs> never mind that. Let's go in and get... Get this over with. Right you are. It's now or never. Sure. Our wives can't push us around. I'll say. Men are meant to be masters, not women. Right. Do you think we'd better arm ourselves? <laughs> oh, come on. We're not afraid of them. Remember Captain Blah. Very well. Are you with me? Yes. Let's go. Good. Mrs. Lawton. Mrs. Byrne. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sit down. Sit down. We are sitting. Then stand up. <laughs> stand up. Charles, what is the meaning Quiet. of Quiet. We have come to deliver an ultimatum. Yes! I mean, yes. <laughs> Henceforth, we will give the orders, not you. And to start with, we will not play Santa Claus. That's right. So you can take this Santa Claus suit and stuff it in the chimney. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye! Goodbye! Oh, my goodness, what happened? Charles must have gotten into my vitamin capsule. <laughs> If we let them get away with this, we're sunk. You're right. They might tell other husbands and organize. Yeah. And men are scarce now. Even men like ours. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I've never seen Charles like this before. Oh, I could handle your husband, but I wouldn't know what to do with George. Oh, George is no problem. Say, I have an idea. I'll handle your husband and you handle mine. It's a deal. Mr. Burns. I see you alone for a moment. Why, of course, Elsa. Oh, and Mr. Lawton, I'd like to speak with you. What is it, Elsa? Sit down, George. I'll sit here at your feet. Well, if that's the way you like it, it's... <laughs> your feet have so much character, George. What size are they? Elevens. <laughs> the best size. There can be no nonsense. About a man who has so much of him on the ground. <laughs> Look, if you're trying to flatter me into playing Santa Claus, oh, you... Oh, no, George. I admire you for refusing. You are so virile, so masterful. Well, Charles spoke up, too. Only because he had your strength to lean on. Really? <laughs> you are strong, aren't you, George? Well, I'm... Not exactly a panty waist. <laughs> Modest boy. Flex your arm and let me feel your muscle. Okay. Grab hold. Go on. Flex it. It's flexed. <laughs> How nice to have smooth muscles that don't make lumps. 
Yeah. Your personality and your gorgeous, resonant voice. Aimless behavior all by myself. Oh, you sing, too. Of course. Do you ever sing any lighter things, such as Christmas carols? Oh, sure. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Listen, George. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. <laughs> you actually seem to have bells that swing back and forth in your throat. Oh, it's a chance <laughs> What a pity the world must be robbed of such beauty. Huh? If you played Santa Claus and made your entrance singing jingle bells, it would be the theatrical event of the century. Bigger than the Avon comedy for? <laughs> I, I think so. Well, why discuss it? I admire the stand you've taken and you mustn't change it. Wait a minute. You can't tell me what to do. I can't? No. If I want to play Santa Claus, nobody can stop me. Oh, George, you're so strong. So terribly strong. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells. And so, Mrs. Burns, if you have any notion of wheedling me into the part of Santa Claus in your moth-eaten pageant, forget it. I won't do it, and that's final. Then I may as well go? You may as well. All right. I won't bother you anymore. May I have a picture of you to take with me? You women seem to picture me. <laughs> yes. And, and if it's not too much trouble, please sign it. To Gracie, from the greatest actor of all time. Oh, it's no trouble at all, my dear. But uh, do you really think I'm the greatest? Oh, certainly. I've seen lots of actors, but your head and shoulders and so on and so forth above them all. <laughs> Very well, here's your picture. But you didn't write from the greatest actor of all time. It's stamped on all my pictures. <laughs> oh, my, you're handsome. I can't understand those silly people who stand in line for hours to see an Errol Flynn movie. I wait until one of your pictures is playing, and then I go right in and pick out the best seat in the house. <laughs> I had no idea you were such a devoted admirer. Oh, I'm not the only one. You know, I saw a revival of Henry VIII not so long ago, and when you played one scene, the whole audience was in tears. Ah, uh, the scene where I was a feeble, broken old man. No, the scene where you took a big bone with lots of meat on it and threw it to the dog. <laughs> one time, that was considered quite amusing. <laughs> I love to hear you deliver lines, Mr. Larkin. Those rich, beautiful sounds come pouring out of you like wine out of a barrel. <laughs> um, uh, 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 thank you, I think. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Larkin, I'll bet you could take just any old words and make them sound wonderful. Like, for instance, ho-dancer, ho-prancer. Doesn't Santa Claus say that to his reindeer? Yes. Try it. Who dancer? Who prancer? Joe, it does sound good. <laughs> well, of course it does. But I'm, I'm not satisfied. I, I see dancer as a more delicate deer than prancer. Or, how's this? Um, who dancer? Who prancer? Oh, oh you're cute. <laughs> no, 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 no. Now, prancer needs to be polished. I see prancer as a frisky animal, always kicking up his heels, something like this. Who dancer? 
should never be heard. But it shall be heard. I insist that it be heard. Oh, you're so masterful, Charles. I guess I'll have to give in. Well, Gracie, your problem is solved. George is in there, and he's agreed to play Santa Claus. What? Over my dead body? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Gracie, it looks like you're going to have two Santa Clauses for your pageant. Well, yeah. I think the admission tickets will have to be brown ration stamps. Oh, well, won't we be giving the audience the two biggest hams in the world? <laughs> Say, George, you know who our guest is next week? John Garfield. Oh, sure. Oh, that poor boy. He's always been throwing into prison. Ah, yes. They throw him into prison for $30,000 a week. (laughs) Say, do you think we can spring him in time for our show? I'll talk to his agent. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Thanks to our guests tonight, Elsa Lanchester and her husband, Charles Lawton, who appeared with the kind permission of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor musical, Thousands Cheer. The makers of Swan, the new white floating soap, join George and Gracie in inviting you to tune in to your Columbia station again next week, same time, when we'll have as our guest, John Garfield. Remember, George Burns and Gracie Allen, CBS, next Tuesday night. And now till next Tuesday, this is Bill Goodwin saying, well, I, Swan, how about you? And also adding, tomorrow night, don't miss the big radio treat of this year and every year. Lionel Barrymore as old Scrooge in Charles Dickens' immortal Yuletide story, A Christmas Carol. It'll be broadcast over most of these same stations at this same time tomorrow night. Get the whole family to listen to Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol starring Lionel Barrymore, the only time this season that Mr. Barrymore will broadcast this great Christmas story. Good night, everyone. Stay tuned for Boston Blackie next up on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM. Writer Jack Boyle grew up in Chicago, Illinois. While working as a newspaper reporter in San Francisco, he became an opium addict and was drawn into crime and was jailed for writing bad checks. Later convicted of robbery, Boyle was serving a term in San Quentin when he created the character of Boston Blackie. Now tonight you're going to hear about the world's most famous jewel going on a train bound for an exhibition. The trouble is, Boston Blackie is on the same train. Rinso, R-I-N-S-O, Soapy Rich Rinso presents Boston Blackie, starring Chester Morris. (laughs) 
Street and Cheese, little Abner? No, listen to this, Matthews. Special feature of the great gems exhibit at the famous Godet Jewelers will be the incomparable star of the Nile, Emerald. One of the most precious gems in the world. So precious that George Stevens, vice president of Godet's, is personally bringing the star to Chicago from Chicago to New York. <laughs> I don't get the joke, Chief. <laughs> sure you don't, because you don't know that Boston Blackie's on the same train with George Stevens. <laughs> Chief, I don't get it. Well, if I know my Boston Blackie and to my great sorrow I do, he won't be able to resist a little gadget worth a cool 200 grand. I still don't see what's funny. Besides, <laughs> Blackie hasn't gone after sparklers in a long time. I know that, but I also know one thing that sparkles that's right up Blackie's alley. Yeah, what's that? Dames. Sure, Chief, but the star of the Nile ain't a dame. Yeah, but Helen Crew is. Helen Crew? Yeah. Something's bound to happen on a train when it's carrying those three. George Stevens, Helen Carew, and Boston Black. Well, nobody has to lead Blackie to adventure because somehow adventure always seems to seek him out. And now, Chester Morris and the adventures of Boston Blackie. <laughs> It's obvious that an international bank should be established for reconstruction. At the United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference held at Bretton Woods, certain preliminary steps were taken. However, it is only the beginning. Oh, I says When you realize that the International Monetary Fund will total around $8,500,000,000. But that's only the beginning. Yes, well, a small beginning. You know, I get kind of mixed up when I start counting over 850. <laughs> oh, young man, we'll all have to learn how to count in millions and billions in the post-war world. Well, that's very interesting. Oh, well, uh, here you are, Stuart. I'd like some dessert. Would you take this seed, Miss? Oh, thank you. Never mind the dessert, Stuart. Well, I'm finished. Uh, wouldn't you rather have this chair by the window? Thank you. And uh, good day to you, young man. Thanks for your company. Well, thanks to you for the tip on the international monetary situation. I can't wait to use it. Um, very interesting man. Oh, and very distinguished looking, too. Oh. Who is he? I don't know, but he's awfully good at counting. Is, um, is it all right if we talk? Why not? You see, my mother never told me not to talk to strangers on a train. <laughs> I like your mother. Very intelligent woman. <laughs> well, I'm no isolationist. But to make it proper, my name is Helen Carew. Oh, and mine is Boston Blackie. I've heard that name somewhere. Are you a baseball player? <laughs> no, why? Do you like baseball? No, not particularly. Well, uh, why did you bring up the subject? Oh, just to make conversation. Fine. Uh, let's talk about you. All right, let's. I'm a very pleased young lady on a train between Chicago and New York. Why are you pleased? Because I didn't expect conversation with my dinner. Well, do you realize that the International Monetary Fund will total about $8,500,000,000 this year? No. Yes. You see? Uh-oh, it's back again. Excuse me, I've lost something. It can't be that $8,500,000,000. No, it was a chamois pouch. I don't see it. Now, wait. Oh, uh, I'd better get out of the way. It isn't here. Well, pardon me, sir. What did you lose? This is terrible. Terrible. Waiter. Waiter. Well, it sounds important. Young man, you have no idea how important. That pouch was worth $200,000. That's a lot of money to be carrying around. It wasn't money. It was an emerald. One of the most valuable gems in the world. The star of the Nile. What a pretty name. I tell you, Inspector, I've been robbed. 
It was sometime during the dinner hour. The star of the Nile is missing. Okay, Mr. Stevens, I got that much from the telegram the conductor sent. Now, we'll search every passenger on the train if we have to, so calm down. Now, you say you thought you left it in the diner. Were you alone? No, a young man joined me for dinner, and then later, just before I left, a young lady was seated at our table. Mm -hmm. Friends of yours? Oh, no, just the people one meets on a train. Now, this young man, what was he like? Well, he was a clean-cut-looking chap with dark hair, a good build, nice smile. Mm, I'm not a bit surprised. And the young lady? Oh, quite attractive. As a matter of fact, the young man seemed rather taken with her. Well, Mr. Stevens, I don't think you have to worry about your star of the Nile. I might even say the situation is well in hand. Matthew should be here any moment now with the man we're looking for. Here he is, Chief. Welcome, Boston Blackie. Welcome home. <laughs> Your new home. As a matter of fact, I've prepared a special escort to take you there. Well, now, how thoughtful, Inspector. But uh, where's the brass band? All right, come off it, Blackie. Where's the emerald? This is a great shock to me, young man. Well, it's no shock to me, sir. I, I know my Faraday. He never fails. He never fails to be dead wrong. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Blackie. But we, you were in the diner with Mr. Stevens when the emerald disappeared. Mr. Stevens? I didn't even know that was his name. Oh, now, Blackie, as if you didn't know that Mr. Stevens was vice president of Godet's and that he was carrying the Star of the Nile to New York, as if you didn't read the papers. Of course I read the papers, Inspector, but I, I was a little more interested in the fact that we'd just taken Can and Saipan. Okay, okay. Now you can tell me all about that at headquarters. Come on, Blackie. Now look, Faraday, do you mind if I talk this over with Mr. Stevens? Whatever you have to say, you stay at headquarters. Come on. I'll be in touch with you, Inspector. Thanks okay. again. Now, about that brass band, Blackie, I'll arrange to have one when we send you up the river. Oh, are you leaving, Mr. Blackie? Oh, oh, yes. Yes, my Uncle Faraday always brings the town car to meet me. Uncle Faraday, my aunt. Well, your Uncle Faraday must have a lot of influence. I wonder when the police are going to let the rest of us off the train. Well, Miss Carew, I'll see if I can use my influence. You see, he happens to be the police. Oh, uh, Uncle, meet Miss Carew. How do you do, Mr. Please, Faraday? Please, meet you. I hope this fellow hasn't taken you in, too. Oh, no, Mr. Faraday. On the contrary, he's been very nice to me. Yeah, yeah, that's Blackie. Well, you might as well know, Miss Carew. He's being charged with the theft of the Star of the Nile. But that's impossible. Impossible? What do you mean, Miss Carew? I was at the table when Mr. Stevens discovered his loss, and I'm sure that Mr. Blackie had nothing whatever to do with it. You haven't known him as long as I have, Miss Carew. You mean to tell me that Boston Blackie didn't do it? That's exactly what I mean. Well, thanks, Mr. Rue, for telling the inspector something that he should have known. He usually goes the long way around. You helped him find the shortcut. <clears throat> oh, you haven't gone yet, Inspector. No, I'm afraid we'll have to begin all over again, Mr. Stevens. What do you mean? Well, Miss Carew here has a strong alibi for Blackie, and I'm still looking for a loophole, but... Under the circumstances, I'm afraid I can't hold him. But you're going to do something about it, aren't you, Inspector? Well, after all, you were sure that the emerald must still be on the train. Well, that's right, Mr. Stevens, it is. That's what I tried to tell you before the inspector shut me up. Oh, so you know. Well, come on, Blackie, where is it? I didn't say I knew where. Uh, Mr. Stevens, you're rather absent-minded, aren't you? Absent-minded? Why, no. Not well, perhaps that, uh... I'm jumping to conclusions, but, uh, of course, if you remember, you left the diner without paying your bill. I did? Oh, not that I minded buying your dinner, Mr. Stevens, but... It occurred to me that if you were absent-minded enough to forget your dinner check, you uh, you also might have forgotten something else. How could I forget the Star of the Nile? I put it in my vest pocket just before I went into the diner. <laughs> oh. Oh, I, are you sure you put it in your vest pocket, Mr. Stevens? Yes, yes. Well, then the whole thing's solved. Oh. You know, all during dinner, I was envying you, Mr. Stevens. I really was. You looked so cool and comfortable in that sports jacket you were wearing, and... 
And you weren't wearing a vest, Mr. Stevens. I wasn't? Well, that's absurd. Now, now wait a minute. Now, what's going on here? Vests, sports jackets. Come on, Blackie. Don't you remember, Mr. Stevens? Now, let me think. I, I, I lay down to take a nap just before dinner. Yeah. I got up and dressed and... By George, you're right. Oh. The emerald must be in the vest that I packed in my suitcase. <laughs> oh, Inspector, I'm terribly sorry to have caused you all this trouble, and you, young man, and, and young lady. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Good day. <sighs> well, how do you like that? You seem to be disappointed, Inspector. Yeah. You know, if Boston Blackie can sit next to a guy in a train that's got something worth 200 grand and not do something about it, I guess it's time I turned in my bath. <laughs> Well, you should have thought of that before, Inspector. Uh, Just think. By now, you could have had a cottage, a couple of cows, a victory garden, instead of that pet ulcer of yours. Uh, by the way, what do you call it? Boston Blackie. What else? Why, Inspector, how sweet of you. Naming your first one after me. Oh, Miss Carew, I, I've been looking for you. Here's a cab coming up now. May I drop you someplace? Oh, thanks. Uh, where to, Miss Carew? Uh, the Middleton, please. Okay, driver, 48th Street off Lexington. <laughs> you don't miss a thing, do you, Mr. Blake? Well, I, uh, I have a great appreciation for beautiful things. Oh, then you must have seen the Star of the Nile. Star of the Nile? Mm -hmm. I was talking about beautiful things, uh, such as, well, the dessert I had for dinner last night. Oh, I was just marveling at how clever you were, helping Mr. Stevens to find his emerald. Well, it isn't hard to find something that was never lost, Miss Guru. And, uh, incidentally, thanks for putting in a good word for me with the inspector. Oh, don't mention it. By the way, mm -hmm. I'll, uh, I'll bet there's another thing your mother forgot to warn you about. Oh? Accepting dinner invitations from a young man in a taxi cab. <laughs> I told you not to disturb me, Miss Everett. I'm too busy to see... Oh, who are you? Louis. Louis? Yeah. Miller said you wanted to see me. Oh, uh, oh yes, Mr. Louis. Uh, won't you sit down? Now, look, let's get this straight, Mr. Stevens. I don't know you, but Miller said you had a job for a guy with uh, fingers. Well, I wouldn't exactly put it that way, Mr. Louis. And another Louis. thing, Mr. Stevens. This is strictly business. Miller says you want me to open up a safe down at Godet's and lift a hunk of jewelry. Well, now... Uh... And what's more, Mr. Stevens? I know you're vice president of Godet's. It's your business, but it ain't mine. And if you're worrying about what might happen, you're in a swell spot. After all, who'd the judge believe? Me or you? Well, I'm glad we understand each other, Mr. Louis. The emerald has already been deposited in the Godet vault, and since the exhibit will open tomorrow, there's no reason for any further delay. Hey, Blackie. Did you hear me calling you? Well, vaguely. To be honest with you, Shorty, I had my mind on somebody else. Well, boss, I just heard something I thought you'd be interested in. Yeah? You know, you were telling me about that emerald mixed up on the train? Yeah. Well, I just got a tip, see? Somebody's going to crack the Godet safe for that emerald. When? Midnight. How straight was this tip, Shorty? A very reliable tip, boss. Uh, a fingers told me. Fingers? Oh, that's too big a job for him. He's only got ten. Well, that's what the man said. He said that. That small time safe cracker. I guess I'd better go down and help him out. But uh, before business, pleasure. Mr. 
Well, for once, Miss Carew, I can't blame Faraday. After all, he, he brought us together. Brought us together? Yes. What do you mean? Well, if he hadn't accused me, you wouldn't have had the opportunity to vouch for me, and, well, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to show you my appreciation. Oh, I see. Well, the whole thing was a little silly anyway. Oh, well, not altogether. Faraday has the memory of an elephant and the persistence of a little beaver. And looks like both of them. <laughs> if anything happens, it's got to be Boston Blackie. Oh, that's a nuisance, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Faraday hounds me, but it's good to have him around at the wind-up. Blackie, I don't quite make you out, but I like you. Thanks. I, uh, I hope that's an understatement. Well, I'm surprised the police are so suspicious of you. Oh, that's the story of my life. You see, Faraday has good instincts, only he picks the wrong person. If he knew, for instance, that tonight I may have something to do with robbing a vault... He'd become suspicious right away. But of course you haven't anything to do with that. But of course I have. Only it's not as bad as it sounds. Oh, now I'm really puzzled. Well, the only puzzle is, uh, why don't I spend the rest of the evening with you? Meaning that you have to leave? Meaning that I have an important conference about something green and something Egyptian. Oh, I see. But like this thing, she won't talk. Perhaps I'll have something to tell you later. <laughs> I'll get your coat. Oh, thanks. I have to phone. But don't make any dates for the next month. <laughs> I want to put in my bed first. Hello? Operator, give me Madison 72772. Hello? Inspector, this is Helen Carew. I just had dinner with Boston Blackie. We're leaving now. He's dropping me off at my hotel. He's going down to go days. He's after the emerald. And, Inspector, if you should happen to catch him, please don't mention me. <laughs> Boston Blackie, unaware that Helen Carew has tipped off Inspector Faraday as to his destination, is en route to Godet's Jewelers to try to prevent the robbery of the vault there and to discover who is back of the attempt to steal the famous Star of the Nile emerald. It is midnight at the Godet Vault. It's no use, Louis. It's one of them new-style vaults. I can't make it out. Now we got dynamite. I have to use it. I don't like a noisy job, but where is it? Left it out in the alley. Now go get it. Okay, I'm going. Try again, Fingers. Stevens is paying off plenty. Well, I'm nervous. This is a big job, boss. <laughs> Too big for you, Fingers. Okay, stay where you are. Boston Blackie. That's right. What were you saying about a certain Mr. Stevens? <laughs> now, look, Blackie, let's be sensible about this. Well, we're having a little trouble cracking this crib. Yeah. I'll make a memo. Yeah, I'll bet you little... can't open it. Are you kidding, Fingers? I'll make a good bet. All right. It'll pay you to try. Well, I'll make a bet with you. Not the kind of a bet that'll pay you money, but it might save a few years of your life. Yeah? Yeah, all you have to do is talk. Yeah, we'll talk, Blackie. And drop your rod first. Oh, so you got a little playmate. Okay, take your gun away from my back. Get it, dude. I get it. You know, Blackie, this is a happy coincidence. As I said before, we can use you. Only now the bet's off. We're just gonna do it. Come on, get those fingers working. And, uh, and suppose these fingers can't open the vault. And the next time you go to buy gloves, you better look for mittens. <laughs> Come on, take a good look at the crib. Oh, a beautiful job. <laughs> you know, Faraday should see me now. Huh. Okay. Stand back and keep quiet. Yeah, we'll be quiet, all right, but it's up to you, Blackie. This gun can make a lot of noise. Shh. Wait a minute. It feels like, uh... Ah, there's one. Now let's try this. Uh-huh, next one. Oh, now that's two. Now... Hold it up. Hold it up. Bring this door down. Come on, it's the wall. It's a cop. 
Yeah, Miller. Is the alley door open? Yeah. Joe's coloring out there. Okay, let's meet him. Now, what about Blackie? Ah, forget about Blackie. Come on. Okay, hey, okay. I warned you, Blackie. Hey, this isn't Blackie. Hey, who are these other two? Oh, Louie, huh? Yeah, Fingers and Miller. Hey, what is this, a national convention? Where's Blackie? How'd you know Blackie was going to be down there, Faraday? Little bird told me, but where is he? Well, now, I don't expect you to believe this, Inspector, but so help me. We were passing to the alley, and we heard a noise, and we come in. Naturally curious, you understand? Yeah. And who do you suppose was starting to crack that box? Don't tell me, Boston Blackie? Yeah. Well, then what are we doing out here in the alley? He couldn't have gotten away. Yeah, Chief, there's only two doors to that room. We came through this one. Hey, so he better be back in that vault room. That's right. Eddie, watch these mugs here. Right. Come on, Matthews, let's have a look. Ain't in here, Chief. Ain't in here. Oh, I can see for myself, Matthews. I can see for myself. Must have slipped through the door before we came in. Matthews, you're fired. Me, Chief? I ain't done nothing. That's the trouble. You never do anything. Now, see if the vault's open, Matthews. Okay, Chief. Now, lock tight in the drum. Give me a mark on it. Looks like we saved the emerald for go days, huh, Inspector? Yeah, but I wish somebody had saved Blackie for me. Matthews, I hate to say it, but we gave Blackie a break. We came in just in time to save him from getting into trouble. I just wanted to thank you, Inspector, for preventing the robbery last night and catching the thieves. Don't mention it, Mr. Stevens. Uh, tell me, did they have a chance to open the vault? Nope. We were Johnny on the spot. They never even got started. Well, Inspector, I can't thank you enough for the fine job you've done. Mm, fine job. Nothing ever happens. Nobody steals anything. Listen, Mr. Stevens, if somebody should steal that emerald and I catch him, then you can thank me. <laughs> What burns me up is that Boston Blackie was down there, too, but he got away. Boston Blackie? He got away? Are yeah. you sure the vault wasn't open? Sure, we tried it. It was locked tight. Well, that's fine, but uh, to be on the safe side, I'd better check up. I'll go right down to the vault myself. Mm. But I tell you, Faraday, it's gone. The emerald's gone. I just searched the vault. It's gone. That's great. I've really got Boston Blackie now. Don't worry, Mr. Stevens. Calm down. You'll get your star, and I'll get Boston Blackie. Well, that's what happened, Helen. Faraday collected three mugs, and he didn't seem pleased about it. Blackie, how did you get out? Well, while Faraday was rounding up the other mugs, I got the last number of the vault's combination, you see. Mm -hmm. I opened the door and stepped in and then closed it. You might have been locked in. I was locked in, fortunately, because somebody tried the handle of the vault later. Mm. You see, Helen, modern vaults have an anti-hold-up device. What's that? Oh, it's a sort of gimmick that locks the door from the inside. Mm -hmm. Well, I just pushed the lever. After they left, I slipped out through the alley door. What were you after, Blackie? I told you before. Something green and something Egyptian. The Star of the Nile Emerald, of course. Did you find it in the vault? Yes. Oh. But I didn't take it. I just wanted to make sure it was there. You didn't take it. Blackie, I don't understand you. Now, look, somebody's after the Star of the Nile, and if he gets it, somebody's going to take the rap for it. Could be me, but that's not the point. Nobody's going to take a rap for somebody else while I'm around. You're talking about somebody. Who? I'll find that out. But first, I want to have a talk with Mr. Stevens at his hotel. Perhaps he has an idea. Goodbye, Helen. Next time, I promise you we won't have any outside interference. <coughs> Operator, give me Madison 72772. Hello? Helen Carew speaking. Oh, the inspector isn't there? Well, then I want to leave a message. Tell him that Boston Blackie is on his way to the Kavanaugh Hotel to see Mr. Stevens. I can't wait for the inspector to call back, so tell him I'm going to see Stevens, too, right now. 
but try to get the inspector there as quickly as you can. Slow down, Blackie. Slow down there. Okay, you can march in step with me and Matthews now. You taking your afternoon constitutional, gentlemen? What were you doing back there at the Middleton apartment, Blackie? Now, Inspector, you're privileged to know anything about my public life. But I insist that you don't interfere in my private affairs. Hmm. Well, this is a little private affair that I am interfering in. Oh. You're under arrest for stealing the Star of the Nile. What, again? And no alibi this time, either. You were down at the Good Day Vault with Louie and the two other guys. I got them and searched them, but you got away. Now, somebody got that emerald out of the vault. Come on. Shake a leg, Blackie. Hey, I didn't say stop. I said go. Police! Police, I've been robbed. You have me. Who robbed me? Have you gone nuts, Blackie? Let me go. Police. Oh, cut it out. What is it? Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. Now, listen. You won't really give it to me. You're taking me. Oh, he ain't. He's gone. Matthews, why don't you help me out of this mob? Hey, folks, look. I'm a police inspector. Honest, I am. Matthews, quick. Shoot it, Blackie. Hey, listen. All of you, stand back. Lay off that fella. He's a police. That's Matthews. He's police, too. Thanks, Chief. Say, did Blackie get away? Yeah. Matthews, you're fired! But I was sure he was coming here, Mr. Stevens. Miss Carew, why should Mr. Blackie come to see me at my hotel? Besides, I'm confident that by this time, Inspector Faraday has made sure that the young man is no longer a free agent. Perhaps, yes. Perhaps you're right. But, well, I'm not sure the inspector is right in what he's doing. Now, Miss Carew, it's quite obvious that you have an attachment for Mr. Blackie. And if the police have taken him, I won't have to worry about the Star of the Nile any longer. The police haven't taken me, Mr. Stevens. Boston Blackie. And incidentally, if I knew how much the Star of the Nile would be worth to you, I, uh... I might listen to reason. Blackie. Hello, Miss Carew. I rather expected you'd be here, too. I wouldn't try to phone, Mr. Stevens. You really don't want the police to come up here. Why not? Because it would be very embarrassing for you. And besides, it would be very embarrassing if I had to use this gun. Blackie, look. Oh, Helen, don't. Helen, why did you knock the gun out of my hand? Because you had me fooled for a while, but I'm finally beginning to understand you, Blackie. All right, the two of you stand still and put your hands up high. Oh, so you have a gun, too, Mr. Stevens. Is, uh... Is that to guard the emerald you stole from your own vault? Mr. Stevens took the emerald? Yes. Usually when people want to steal something, they just steal it. But Mr. Stevens had to do it the hard way. But you made it much easier for me, Mr. Blackie. You see, you were in the vault, and now everybody will know that Boston Blackie stole the emerald. Just one thing I'd like to know, Mr. Stevens. Why does a vice president of a large firm like Godet's have to steal a piece of jewelry? Well, there's an ugly word for it, embezzlement. I'm awfully sorry, Miss Carew. Sorry that you came here tonight because no one else can know what you two know now. I'm going to have to kill you. Come on, Stevens. Give me that gun. Stay where you are. I want that gun, Stevens. Blackie, don't. I told you to stay where you are. Look, you can't pull that trigger. Get back! Get back! Thanks, Helen, for sending the message. Uh, Inspector, I think Mr. Stevens will go with you now. Stevens? Yes, Inspector. And thanks for putting Helen on this case. We've got your man. Come on. Let's go. No, I won't go. I can't go. I've gone long enough. I can never catch up. For years now, I've been running after myself, running away from something. I couldn't stop, but I've got to stop. You'll never get me, I tell you. I've got to stop. Well, we got what we were looking for, but I can't say I'm very happy about it. Well, Faraday... This time, I've really got to thank you. <laughs> Don't kid me, Blackie. No, on the level. You saved my life. <laughs> you know, it's the first time in ten years that I've been scared. Really? Well, you know, Stevens might have pulled that trigger. No such luck. Oh, very funny. <laughs> yes, he'd have shot Helen and me if you hadn't knocked on the door. He had only one other way out, Faraday, and because you came in, he took that way. <laughs> Always blaming it on me, 
Now, look, Inspector, won't you miss me a teeny little bit? Does a guy miss a headache? <laughs> you know, Helen, you really had me fooled. Hmm? Well, let me give you a tip. The next time you call Madison 72772, you better be inside a telephone booth. What? Remember when we were out for dinner the first time? Yeah. Well, I went to get your coat, and as I was leaving, I heard you ask the operator for Madison 72772. My private number. Sure. Only a few people know that number, and I'm proud to be one of them. So you knew I was working for the inspection. Sure, but that didn't matter. You already had your hooks in me, and I couldn't get loose. Well, perhaps now you'd like me to unhook you? Oh, honey, with you, anything goes. By hook or by crook. And now a glimpse at next week's adventure of Boston Blackie. Here it goes. What a crack-up. Them plainclothes cops in that car... They're never going to interrupt another one of our hijack jobs. Plain clothes, cops. <laughs> there ain't no cops. The driver of the car that just wrapped around a telephone pole is Boston Blackie. <laughs> Friends, millions of tons of paper are needed to ship ammunition and blood plasma, so vitally necessary in the winning of this war. Do your share to see that our boys get the material they need. Save paper. The need is terribly urgent. Now, one simple way to help is to take your own shopping bag to the grocers. Be sure to listen in at this same time next week for another exciting adventure with Boston Blackie. You can see Chester Morris as Boston Blackie on the screen at your favorite movie theater. Boston Blackie's latest Columbia picture is One Mysterious Night, soon to be released. Richard Lane appears as Inspector Faraday, music by Charles Cornell. This is Harlow Wilcox saying goodnight for Boston Blackie, brought to you by the makers of Rinso, the soap that gets clothes. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, we'll wrap up the week with a visit from The Saint, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support and executive producer Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.